welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful have been handed down for generations. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, we preserve the ag heritage and traditions we built our identity on while pursuing the American dream of multi-generation farms that innovate for the future. Listen along as we share stories of how farmers and ranchers are building legacies, both in their business and their character, for the sake of those they'll pass the reins to. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to talk with you about the financial, generational, and production challenges facing producers in the ag industry today. This podcast is brought to you by Back Pocket Social Marketing. And yes, this is Lexi here. This podcast has been a real passion project for me. All the time that goes into interviewing guests, editing, and producing the show is sponsored by my freelance marketing agency. We specialize in website design, social media advertising, content creation and management, and email marketing. If you like to take a foundational approach to your marketing and figure out exactly what's working for you and what's not, and really focus on efficiency, then you would be a great candidate to work with us. You can reach out and talk with us more at lexi at backpocketsocial.com. We would love to help you solve your marketing challenges. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. I am so excited to have Carissa here on the show today and so excited for everything she's going to share with you guys. Um, Looking through just our little bit of back and forth so far, I think you're going to find the topics that she is able to speak to really, really relevant. So thank you so much for being here, Carissa. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Wonderful. Do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, um, I'm Carissa from 1984 Farms. My husband and I run um, a livestock farm where we raise um, pastured beef, pork, lamb, and eggs. And we use our farm as our curriculum basically for our six homeschooled children. And so we all work together. That's very cool. And I've been following along on your story recently um, and kind of like diving back into how you guys got started and all of the things you've been sharing on social media. You were just recently featured on the Faces of Ag Instagram account. Mm -hmm. That's how I first came across you. So I'm so grateful for accounts like that that share people like you's story that I might not normally run across because there's just so many cool things out there that people are doing. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was really fun to do that takeover and and meet the people that I did. I love that they do that. Yes. So cool. Okay. Well, you guys do a very wide variety of protein then. Can you Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about just how you guys got started? Did you do everything all at once or what did that journey look like for you guys? Yep. So we jump in with both feet every time. (laughs) Um, But before, before we jumped in, so when we met, we're a blended family. I was divorced, had three children. We met online. Um, and we, uh, hang on to the song that says we found love in a hopeless place (laughs) because we never thought that would happen. But, and then we moved to Colorado, but as we dated over the phone, you know, our conversations from the very first night we met were around what we wanted in our life. We had both been 
through some experiences that weren't enjoyable. And we knew that we, neither of us wanted to um, give up on who we were and what we wanted for somebody else. So we were both just very straightforward. This is what I want out of life. And I'm sure you're a nice person, but if you don't align with that, then this is pointless. (laughs) So we, we knew from the beginning what we wanted our life to look like, that we wanted agriculture, that we wanted our children raised, um, with those old fashioned family values, um, hard work, you know, good morals, work ethic, all of those things. Um, and, and a, a, a wide education. And so, um, with that, just over the years, we just learned and started gleaning and we were introduced to Joel Salatin through um, my health journey that um, I share on a different Instagram profile. But we were introduced to Joel Salatin and dove in. And we actually, for about four years, we just read everything we could read and watch every YouTube video because we had horses and, you know, the kids were doing some 4-H stuff, but we were really diving into this regenerative agriculture scene and, and what that looked like. And so we bought our first cattle in um, 2017 and we bought a, a Highland herd, uh, Scottish Highlands. And and we just started going. It was 30 cows that we started out with from the get-go. And and from there, it just kind of snowballed. We knew that we needed chickens to follow the, the cows. And we knew we wanted um, to raise pigs because we had been doing those for 4-H and loved having the pork. Um, my daughter loved goats, so we did goats. And she milked goats for a while and sold the milk all on her own at 13. Oh, wow. And, um, and we did meat chickens. So we processed and raised about um, 700 meat chickens every year, processed them and sold them. And we did. We just kind of dove in headfirst and took it all on at once, which was good. And I don't know if I would change that, but it was hard. So, cause we, my husband still worked full time and we actually switched roles for a while where I worked full time and he was at home mm. and it was definitely challenging. If I didn't have kids, I would totally do it that way. It was a little bit hard on the kids. So I would probably recommend to someone else, maybe go a little bit slower, smaller, try smaller. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely jumping in with both feet. Yes. <laughs> started on all of that right away. Um, it, wow. Um, so you guys always have had at least one person that's full-time on the farm mm-hmm. or full-time plus caregiver to the kids. Sounds yep. like. Yeah. How has that worked for you deciding, like you said, you flip-flopped at one point. How did you guys go about making that kind of decision? <sighs> Because we knew, so when we first bought our cattle um, the first time, we were living in um, a little place called Rangeley, Colorado, and we still owned a home and about 11 acres in a place called Montrose, Colorado. And we decided to move back there instead of trying to buy land up in Rangeley, because we were like, let's start with what we have. And um, we did have some business partners in the beginning that um, we were going to do this together with, which is a little bit more of why we started out bigger, but they pulled out. Um, we got, it was like a month before our cattle were delivered and they were like, we're not doing this. 
So my word. So that was a little bit part of why it was so big at first. And sometimes I forget that detail. Um, but I, so we knew that moving back there, we were going to have fencing because we were leasing property. And there was a lot of physical work that just my husband was better at than, than myself. So I was going to work full time so that he could do the farming aspect. Um, and that lasted for about a year. And I missed my kids. I missed being at home. I missed being mom. And um, we decided to switch again. So. Well, that's really neat that you've been able to do that to kind of prioritize who's at home based on, you know, your individual strengths. And yeah, yeah, yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, so that sounds terrifying that your business partners <laughs> pulled out um, mm-hmm. right before it, you got 30 head of cattle. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was because they were supposed to pay for half of everything. So we got 30 head of cattle in September in Colorado. So we hadn't even purchased hay yet and they were supposed to help purchase the hay. And so we had to come up with it all on our own. And um, we weren't financially prepared to do that. So there was a lot of hustling and and it just worked. It just happened. We believed in it <laughs> and it came. <laughs> I wow. don't know how else to explain that happening. But That's amazing. Um, yeah. That's a nothing short of amazing to be able to do that because 30 head, especially, you know, if you don't have other cattle, I don't know how that worked with you guys. I'm assuming you didn't work with a bank since you had a partner that you got. Um, we, we did to purchase the cattle. Mm-hmm. So, but we financed the loan all in our name and they were supposed to help us uh, with hay is how we were starting out. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you try to go off of good merit and relationship that you've had established for a long time. And, and in the past you've worked well together in a lot of things. And then, you know, it just, it, yeah. So unexpected. And so, yeah, for the cattle, we worked with the bank, but not for hay. We did that all out of pocket. Yeah. That's no small feat to pull (laughs) off when you weren't expecting those kinds of expenses. Yeah. Very cool. So you guys had to hustle hard to do that. What did that look like for you guys? Um, you know, it was every day we got, we, when you say the word hustle, that's exactly what it was. It was phone calls every day, um, looking for leases, um, you know, establishing the lease. And, and we were blessed to get a good lease that had property that had a really good, um, stand of grass on it. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have to start paying right away. And from there, you know, we just, it was, like I said, just phone calls every day. It was all day long. Um, the lease that we got was, um, about 30, 40 minutes away from our home. And so when it did snow and my husband was home at that time, loaded up the kids, drove the 30 minutes every day to, you know, put out hay and drive back. And, you know, my kids at the time ranged from about 12 to, um, one, five of them at that time, 12 to one. And, and he wrangled them all. And, and my 11 year old son, um, he 10, 11, you know, he was working full-time days with his dad fencing. Cause we, we got a second lease. Um, it was about 30 acres, but it needed fence. Mm-hmm. And so they, um, together, they fenced probably 20 acres 
um, you know, 12 hour days. And (laughs) so, um, my kids, you know, they jumped in headfirst with us. They learned a lot. The time and the memories of doing all of those firsts together, um, the human beings that they are right now are incredible. My son, he's almost 16 and he manages our cattle right now. He's the one monitoring their feed in the pastures, uh, building their fence, doing the rotation. It was raining yesterday and it was, he had scheduled how he was going to do it and it ended up raining, you know, but he went out there and did it anyway and he got it done. And I'm just so proud of who these kids are. Sometimes we think that, um, that maybe we need to shelter them a little bit more, let them have a little bit more innocence. And it's not that I disagree with that, but I think we misunderstand exactly what they're capable of. That's awesome. That's amazing that he is getting that kind of experience and that kind of responsibility at such a young age. That's going to be so cool. Yeah. He grows up. Mm -hmm. Wow. I was just talking. um, I have four kids and they are six and under. And we were having a conversation yesterday in the car about our bucket calves that they've been helping raise um, and their steers um, and what what's going to happen down the road as they grow up. And we've talked about that before um with my kids but for some reason or another like yesterday it just really sank in i think it's because they watched their dad um butcher a deer in the garage a couple weeks ago okay (laughs) they understood it a little bit differently now of what that means when we say we're gonna have meat from these animals right Um, oh my gosh and it was just like I, I had always thought that I would know exactly how to respond in that conversation to help them understand. But in the moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, am I subjecting to this, this, them to this a little bit too young? Like, are they going to be OK with it? And I mean, the, your first animal that you have harvested when you're little, I feel like is always a kind of a dramatic experience. But mm-hmm. yeah, they have to figure out at some point. Yeah, it can be. And my husband's name is Stephen. I don't remember if I introduced his name or not. But when we we were doing this because for generations, families and children were exposed to those things together. Mm-hmm. And it developed character that we miss today. And it is hard. But the value, and that's what we talk about with our kids and what we've talked about with them when they were younger is is the value of what we're doing. We are working hard and it's not fun, but we are taking care of these animals who, because they are in our stewardship, cannot take care of themselves like they would if they were out in the wild. And it is our responsibility to show up for them. And we work hard, literally blood, sweat, tears for these animals and they will turn around and they will give us everything that they have in return nourish their life for our life life does not exist without the sacrifice of other life that even goes into plants you know it it is life and that's what feeds the cows and you know it's might be a little cliche but Oh, Simba. Now I can't think of the movie. Yeah, Lion King. (laughs) But Lion King. But that circle of life is so true. And when you are a part of it, when you are actually there doing the work and connecting, 
that first year or two, my husband and I, Stephen, we could not get over the spiritual experience that it was, that elevation that we felt of being involved on such a deep level. Mm. And our children saw it as well. So our chickens, you know, we process them all ourselves. So I've got my little kids out there. They're, you know, um, my daughter, Savannah, who was 12, 13 at the time, you know, she she took over culling. You know, she she was our designated culler. Um, Declan would um, scald him and we'd pluck him and then we'd do the evisceration. And that family worked together. That builds bonds and and memories like you couldn't believe all at the same time as building them as individuals. And yeah, sometimes I felt a little bit hesitant about, oh, they're watching all of these things. But, you know, that's how they learned about um, just these educational things that they learned from the very beginning. And you can teach them in a way that is pure and wholesome without them having to learn from the non-pure and wholesome ways, you know, other exposures. And you get to be in charge of that. And, And it's just powerful as a parent. It is. I definitely feel like the weight of responsibility as we teach them all these things and are kind of facilitating these experiences. It's like, this is amazing that they get to have this experience, but it's so important to get it right and to help them understand exactly what's going on here. Mm -hmm. They don't go and I worry my kids go to public school and I worry sometimes about what they're going to go tell their teachers and their friends like make sure we get this right so no one has any questions about what was going on at home over the yes so with that we had an experience my daughter Mary who was four at the time she got a cut on her arm and we had to take her in for stitches and she was in there talking to the doctor and she's like we murder chickens for a little (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And, you you know, you just have to laugh, but, you know, they just see so, uh, children are so innocent. And it's so amazing to just see how their minds work and how they process things and what it means. And she, she used the word murder, but it wasn't a bad thing in her mind, you know, and so. (laughs) Yeah, it was just the language she had. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, um, tell me a little bit more um, about your guys' backstory. Did, were you guys, either of you, involved in agriculture before you started this journey and started doing the research on Joel Salatin and that kind of stuff? Um, yes and no. Um, so my husband, his family, you know, they had goats and they had some animals and um, bees at one time. There were a couple of pigs, you know, just kind of family animals. Um, his grandpa was a farmer. Um, for me, we always kind of did the same thing, a little bit more land. We had horses. I was in FFA, um, and gardened and we, my, my dad always wanted to be a farmer. Um, but he, he, um, you know, we never, like fully took that step. We bought a couple of bottle calves uh, to raise, but they both died, you know, so we never actually got to eat them. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I was exposed to a lot of that and my, my dad's passion for it. My grandma, however, she was, it, it's like we were farmers that skipped a, genera- a couple generations. My grandma was raised on a farm. Her, her dad was um, a crop share farmer, dry land farmed in Utah. And 
you know, when she was a, a girl, when depre- the depression came in and they were not affected by it, like, you know, almost didn't know that it happened because they grew everything, you know, your ultimate homesteader, they grew everything that they ate minus sugar and salt, you know, and um, she was raised that way. And then it was, she was one of the youngest and it was when she was, um, like 17, then they moved to town. And so, um, I really hold on to my grandma's experiences and that ever since I was a little girl, it was my dream to own a horse and cattle ranch. Um, so, so that's kind of where that come from. It was fueled by my dad. It was fueled by my love for my grandma's stories and, um, it was just always what I wanted. I was raised rurally. Um, I helped other farmers and ranchers out on, on their operations, you know, branding time and different things like that. And it's just what I wanted. Um, and, you know, horse school growing up. So that's kind of where it came from, but, you know, never from, um, like a, a business side or like a full operation. And, um, the, the values and the, the people that we respected were in agriculture. The people who inspired us were in agriculture, both as youth growing up. Stephen worked on a dairy farm um, for a while while he was a teenager. And, and it was just those type of people that inspired us. And we're like, we want to be like them. And, and this was their life. And so we're going to mimic that. And yeah. And it goes back to even, you know, Little House on the Prairie and Little Bridges and, and, and all of those things that where we found the type of people we wanted, their lives were in agriculture. And so we knew that that's what we wanted for us and our kids. That's amazing. <laughs> Great way to follow the, the role models you guys had. What was, um as you kind of got involved as a business for the first time then, because it's I struggle with the word beginning farmer. I'm kind of similar to you where like I had some ag background and that those experiences, but did not grow up on a functioning farm. Mm-hmm. And that's been kind of interesting because I'm a bit, I consider myself a beginning farmer, but not in the same sense as some folks who have literally never grown or done anything before. Right. So what right. were some of the hardest learning curves when you guys did approach it from a business standpoint? Well, we started out approaching it from a business standpoint, and that was so balancing the education was was and has been because you're so immersed learning about taking care of animals, but you've also got to learn the business side and marketing and and every role that you have to fill on that side. Um, Some of the challenges that we ran into were we're very open people. Like I'll share everything with you. <laughs> and maybe that, maybe there's, um, maybe I need to learn to not share so much, but uh, because I truly want to help people and, and I'm a hands-on learner. And so for me, it was difficult because we would ask questions and sometimes people weren't so open to share and, and give details. And so, and more in our area where we were, we didn't know a lot of people. So we started out the farmer's market. You know, this is back when Facebook, you could sell things on Facebook. And so I pre-sold pretty much all of our chicken through mm-hmm. just posting in Facebook, buy, sell, trade things. And and it felt 
a little bit lonely. We were just starting out. We didn't have a mentor. We didn't know anybody. We didn't have relationships with anybody. And and then there was a little bit where you're trying to ask questions and there wasn't a lot of, of clear answers given. You know, I was like, how do you do your cattle tagging? And there were a lot of questions that at the time I was trying to research online and just not finding, you know, and I still haven't found like, you know, um, you have to make it up as you go, our own cattle records. And I was like, I need a template. I need to see yeah. how people do this. Right. <laughs> and, and some people just, you know, I, d- I don't want to see like your financials themselves, but can I see a template of how you do it? An example. Mm-hmm. And, and there wasn't a lot of that. So a lot of it was just learning on your own and finding your own systems and creating your own systems, which you were trying to create and find your own systems. All the education and learning and studying we did, like I said, for three to four years on regenerative ag before we actually got our first herd was good. But once you start hands on, it's a whole nother level of learning. Yeah. (laughs) Like, ah, so that's what that actually means. (sighs) And so we are still learning. Um, So part of our story moving here to Missouri, we, we weren't thinking, um, I mean, we thought about health implications for our cattle, but when we moved here, we ran into a major hoof um, rot experience that mm-hmm. was awful. We had never experienced hoof rot before. We kind of knew that it was a thing, but until you experience something, you don't actually comprehend. You know, it wasn't something that was on my mind. Oh, we might right. experience hoof rot when we move somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so we moved here and um, had just the learning experiences like that, which are expensive and painful. And, and sometimes you're, you're just not going to have preparation for it other than going through it. Mm, Yeah, that's for sure. Experience is the best teacher, unfortunately, sometimes Mm -hmm. a costly lesson, but Mm -hmm. well, um, you mentioned some of the systems that you guys have been kind of putting together trial and error. What are some of them that you have found that have worked for you? So some of the things that we do regularly to make sure our operation is moving as smooth as possible is we meet um, every week and we plan out our week. We we don't we try not to schedule too far ahead. We have like a general of what our year is going to look like. But every week is when we get down to it. This is what needs done. This is what needs done. This is what needs done. Um, and. And we both kind of have our roles. I take care of more of the administrative and business aspect. And he, you know, is more over like the actual function outside of taking care of the animals. But we work together on that because he's at work full time still and I'm at home. So I still have to be a part of that. And and then I need his support. So identifying roles and responsibilities is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we meet and discuss everything that we need to take care of on a weekly basis. Um, the other thing is record keeping. One of the best things I've done is just making it a habit to write down what we did that day. Um, it, I just have a journal planner that I use for everything and I write it down that way. If I'm like, I can't remember when we put them in that pasture, how long, <laughs> you know, or I can't remember. Um, 
you know, when you put the bull out and, and he got out and was exposed to these cows, you know, so all of that is written down and um, just try to jot those things down as often as possible. And then, um, I've kind of developed my cattle record of, of, um, you know, our tagging system and, and where everyone's at. So each year I have a new spreadsheet where these are our our finishers. These are the calves that we're looking at to, um, you know, be beef and who, so, um, and I don't, I don't really know, like, so just writing things down and, and organizing because every operation is different. And that's what everybody's always telling me. Every operation is different. You have to find what works for you. I'm like, I've, I've never done this before. I don't know what works. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so just, just some of those things, um, just sitting down and writing them and, and having a day for a thing. So I try to do my bookkeeping once a week versus letting it, you know, lapse for, super amount of time and Mm -hmm. the best system is communication communicate with each other communicate over communicate that's our thing with our kids over communicate tell me more (laughs) than you think I need to know and and that system in and of itself takes care of a lot of things I love that statement communication just being a a system itself Um, and I think sometimes we underestimate maybe the time and effort that that is like that piece requires, but it's so important because if you are missing that, like there's just so many opportunities for either miscommunications, lack of communication, somebody thinking, well, I thought you were doing that, but I didn't water the cattle this morning. I thought you did. And that kind of stuff. (laughs) It's just, yeah. Until you have a system that works, like that is so important, just the over communication. Um, I'm actually taking notes. I love that quote. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Um, no, you're just fine. The, I, I think it is interesting how much time it takes to get those systems in place when you don't have a template to work with and people are like not able to share with you either because they don't have a system themselves that they right. like is helpful or they're not just not very forthcoming. Um, but yeah, I love the new thing that is happening. And I feel like a lot on TikTok of people just sharing more about what their day-to-day stuff is. Yes. Like so eye-opening to mm-hmm. see how other people's routines and how they think about things. It's like, wow, I could have saved myself so much time if I'd just known that one little, you know, flip mm-hmm. of doing these two steps a different order or something like that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's so like our day, um, our kids, especially in the winter time when it's slower, they're, they are responsible for feeding the animals. Um, you know, so we get up and we have a little devotional and the kids go out and feed. Cause I still have, I have a two year, almost three year old now and I have little kids. And, um, so we kind of, everybody has their role. And that's another thing is like, know your role, delegate as well. Because when you try to do everything on your own, that's when it's going to fall apart. That's where overwhelm sets in. And as a parent, my advice to parents, you are a supervisor and your children are 
your laborers. Now, I'm not promoting child labor, but you get it. Like with the housework and the things like that, with the chores, if you are the only one cleaning after your whole family, there's a problem. You need to delegate. You need to oversee. You need to support them and be there and let them do the work. And, and this will train them up to be those responsible adults that we all want to have so much. And so, so we delegate, everybody knows their roles. We discuss in the morning, every morning we discuss with our kids, what the day is going to look like, what to expect, what their roles are, what our roles are. And, and we do that once a week as well. We have family council where, where we discuss everything. And so that's that over communication where it's always fresh on everybody's mind, what it looks like. Um, and, and then we just take care of what needs to be taken care of together. You know, we have our systems as far as with regenerative agriculture, you know, during the um, growing season, the, the cattle are moved every day. The chickens follow behind. Um, the pigs have their own rotation. And, um, you know, we try to have a, a, a map drawn out of where things are going to be. And we try to give names to everything so that we can easily say, you know, this is what this is. This is what this is called. So when you say, you know, out in the large barn yard, you know, need you to fix this fence over here or something like that. So that way everyone can work together almost seamlessly, um, because, because we're communicating and all are in touch with what's going on. Yeah. That's it's a lot to keep track of. I love the idea of naming things. We have had an issue with that because we have three buildings on our property that really like are similar purpose and we call them all the garage. And it's like <laughs> when when I run into this with my kids all the time, they're like, I'll be like, Oh yeah, dad's in the garage. And I'm like, so which 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 one are we going to? <laughs> like, oh, we just need to give that a better name so that they know where we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> but that's so smart. Just like the naming of the pastures and yeah, mm-hmm. keeping track of rotation. Hey, it's Lexi here, and I'm interrupting the show to tell you about a new option we have for marketing support for you. I've met so many people the past six months who are looking for DIY marketing support. And while I primarily offer marketing packages and website design in my marketing business, I'm excited to have something just for you DIYers too. So I know you need answers quickly to help you overcome tech challenges and get feedback on your marketing content when you have a spare minute to work on it. And you want to keep growing and learning how to make your marketing work in a way that makes sense for you. Here's what I've got for you. First, you can sign up for a free marketing toolkit, which includes social media post templates, email marketing outlines, video ideas, and a content planner and tracker. And to get tutorials and answers to those pressing questions, sign up for our weekly marketing tutorials for just $10 a month, where we tackle your most frustrating challenges together. Or sign up for the marketing support line, where you get direct access via text message to ask all of your tech support and marketing advice questions. It's like having a marketing and tech support person in your back pocket. We solve website issues, social media challenges, and just give feedback on the content you're creating. You can find those options at LexiWrightConsulting.com slash social under marketing support. I feel like with kids especially, the whole concept of giving them responsibility is something that our society almost has been deprived of. Um, anymore. 
And it's just shocking to me sometimes the people you run into that have not ever been taught some of the most basic skills for their own survival of like keeping a clean home. And when you add in like the farm chores and taking care of other animals and plants, and it's just this whole other aspect of skills that you guys are giving your kids. Um, that is so powerful. I can't imagine how much better equipped they are to go out and be real responsible adults, whatever they choose to do in the real world than some kids who are just never given the opportunity to learn those skills and what it feels like to have responsibility Mm -hmm. for something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, this is not to um, boast of who we are and who we are as parents, but we're very intentional about what we do. And like I said, like it's because of the examples that we've seen and we're doing our best to replicate because of the outcome of the humans that had those experiences. And my children, I'll, I'll praise them a little bit, are always commented on their maturity mm-hmm. and their uh, ability to take responsibility. Responsibility breeds accountability. When you have one, you will have the other. If people aren't responsible, they're never going to be accountable for anything. and you know, they're, they're chosen as leaders and they're always, always just commended on, on their maturity, their thought process, how they see things. And, and I know it has nothing to do with me as a parent because I am very imperfect and have my own issues, (laughs) but it's because of the, the life that we are working to provide. It's because of that stewardship over the animals um, that, that creates that thought process, a quote, and I cannot remember who to give credit to for this, but they said the antidote to poor character is hard work. Mm -hmm. And we took that very seriously, especially with our son. Young men do not get enough physical activity. They, you think of boys and you know, they're always fighting and wrestling and punching and hitting. (laughs) That's actually very critical to their development. They need that physical rough stimulation. And so many young men are not, not getting that. And whenever my son would get a little grouchy or, you know, get, have an attitude or something going on for a couple of days, I'd make him go outside and do physical work. I'd make him move hay bales. I'd make him move, you know, this is at like 11 and 12 when he's going through things and he literally would work it out. And he was always so much happier, easier to get along with and communicate with when he had proper physical movement in a day. So it, it is just important to have those things in our lives. And and it is, it's something our society is, is missing deeply. Yeah. And I don't want to put down anybody's way of life. I don't know if it came across that way as I've talked about it, but it's just, I feel like in the workforce, you often hear people say, well, like farm kids are sought after because they Mm -hmm. have just that awareness and Mm -hmm. that work ethic that other kids are not ever exposed to. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a beautiful gift to give a kid. 
It is. And, you know, I'll, I'll say you don't have to have a farm or a ranch to have that, though. Mm-hmm. My parents gave it to me. And it was because we worked. Saturday, you know, friends would want to play. I couldn't. Like, rarely a Saturday I could be away from the house. Why? Because that was work day. That was family project day. We had something going. So families who don't farm um, or, you know, have an agricultural life, you can still accomplish the same thing in an urban environment. Clean the garage. You know, work on a project together. Do a garden together. Do something together that makes you sweat a little bit, that isn't always the most fun to do. But do it. Give them chores. Give them though. Give them responsibility. Our children are hungry for responsibility because it adds value to their lives. They feel they have a purpose and a direction. And when they don't have those things, then they're lost. And um, and it's sad to see. But you don't have to farm to have the same results. It can totally be done. Yeah, that's a great, great tip. Great, um, great connection. Um, and I think you should give yourself some credit because you may say it's not your doing, but you have to, you're the one who has to take the time to slow down and get out of the rush to get the things done and accomplished and checked off the list because we all know on a farm, there's always more on the list, (laughs) but to take the time to slow down and teach your kids how to do that. And sometimes that's really hard to do. At least for me, it is to, to take the time and say, you know what, this might be messier. This might take three times as long and we might yell at each other in the progress of it, but it's important for you to learn this skill. Sometimes it's just like, oh man, do I have that in me today? I don't know. Yeah. And I don't always, <laughs> and and it is valuable. And one of the one of the other systems that we have in place is that our children also teach each other. Mm. So my older kids. So how we homeschool is based on developmental level, and and you don't start certain things until you um, reach certain um, yeah developmental signs showing that you're ready for certain things. But when you are. The older kids really play a big role in tutoring and teaching their younger siblings in these things. So when when the kids reach the age where they're able to start helping with the animal feeding chores, they they get part of that experience with their siblings as well. And yeah, they fight and there's a lot of but but there is so much value in them being able to build that relationship as well. And um we when we set things up, our intention is to build relationship. Um, and that relationship, it, if there were to be a word, words for our farm, it would be ownership, relationship, and freedom, liberty. And, and the life we live, one of my favorite, and I won't be able to read it, because I don't have the book with me, but Farmer Boy is like my life book. It's the story of Almanzo, Laura Wilder's husband. And I love Little House on the Prairie, but I love Farmer Boy the best. And and his dad, at the very end, when he's trying to decide whether he um, he goes to do this apprenticeship that's been offered him, and his dad is telling him, you can do that, 
but your life is in service to somebody else. Your whole purpose is for somebody else. And a farmer, he lives for himself. He is free. And, and that mentality is so important to us. And it is at the foundation of what we do for our kids. That freedom, instilling those things in them and instilling, deepening their relationships, their relationship with their food, their relationship with their family, their relationship with their community. And, and we get all of those things by doing what we are doing. The kids would go and run the farmer's markets with me. They would talk to the people about what we're doing and how we're doing it and, and teach people about raising our animals and, and why we do it the way we do. And they would communicate and, and do those things. They would run events with me. They, um, all of these things that build that relationship with themselves, their siblings, their family, their community, and really have that well-rounded life so that they are the best citizen they can be, best parent they can be, best best everything they can be. And, and that, yeah, those are our foundational things. It's why we do what we do. Our children are why we do what we do. It's easy to tell that you're passionate about it. And I love how it <laughs> shines through and what you guys do and how you approach everything on your farm. Um, and like you said, it's very intentional. It's easy to see that intention in what you guys are sharing about what you do and, and how you approach it. I think one thing I do want to say, because I think it is something that it gets misconstrued from people who are not familiar with larger families or life on a farm where kids are involved is you, you mentioned that the older kids help teach the younger kids. And I hear often people say that that's parentification of an older sibling. And every time I hear it, it frustrates me because it's not true in this situation. I'm sure there are absolutely situations where that is the case, but on a farm, it's going back to that it's it's responsibility and it's approaching it from a system of relationship, not that um, it's not from the standpoint of like, oh, you I'm not going to be here to care for you. Your older sibling is it's we all have our place. We all have our role. We all have our responsibility. And the reason we have that is because of our relationship with each other. So right. I'm really glad you talked about it that way because it's <laughs> something that's important to me. I hate when people misconstrue that about. Yeah. Family. You know, my, my grandma asking her, cause I was always, cause those are some of the things that I worry about. I'm like, Oh, am I not involved enough? Am I not doing enough? Wow. We're always going to have those questions if we're enough. And, and the answer is yes, we are. But I asked my grandma, what were chores like? What did your, what were your parents like? How did they, how did they do this? And, and, um, and especially about chores, she was like, we just, everybody had to contribute. Mm -hmm. It's just how we lived. It's what life was. We all had to be a part of it. It, it wasn't, you know, sometimes we get so deep into the details of how things are going to affect us that, that we lose that holistic view of what's taking place. And, you know, she was tutored by her siblings. They took her to school, you know, and it wasn't because her parents weren't parenting. They were expecting the other kids to parent. It's just what you do. You 
tend to and care for and everybody just works together. That's just what it is. <laughs> yes. It's a matrix. Everybody does their thing and it all fits together, hopefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not always perfect. They fight. They get frustrated with each other. And, and I do remind them, you're not the parent. You're showing yeah. her how to gather eggs. That's different than, than taking that parent role. You're just going to walk her out. You're going to show her how to gather eggs and and where to put them when you bring them in the house. Or, you know, you're going to help her feed the dogs because we we have livestock guardian dogs and they're really big and a little intimidating to um, one of our daughters. And so I'm like, you are there to assist her. You are not parenting her. And so it is a clarification we make often just because older siblings sometimes take on that role themselves. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Or younger siblings in our case sometimes. Oh, no, that's true. Very true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, we've been almost talking an hour already, and we haven't even gotten to talk hardly about your move of moving your farm. So I want to make sure we get to that. And honestly, we might have to do another one of these if you're willing, because it's just you have so much value to share. And I'm so glad you were willing to talk today. And and thank you. kind of pull back the veil behind what you guys are doing. I think we could talk probably for a whole nother hour just on like your homeschooling and production practices and all that you're doing there. But <laughs> probably. Yeah. And I like talking about it. I sometimes I'm like, are you weird because you like talking? I mean, everybody likes talking about themselves, but I love sharing what we do because I'm happy. I am yeah. so happy in my life. And you know what? People don't have to farm, they don't have to do what I do, but I I want to inspire other people to find that joy. Mm. Find what makes you alive and live it. It is so good. Like I said, it doesn't have to look like me, but I will share what I do because I am in love with my life and it's hard and we'll get into that with the move. But I just want people to be happy and find their own joy and inspire that in them. Yeah. So with our move, nothing compares yeah. to that feeling of when you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're happy and there's hard days and there's difficult times, but you still love it. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Nothing compares to that. Yeah. Okay. So, so with your move, tell me how all about that. I am here for it. Okay. So Colorado was just getting difficult to, to farm in and Politically, it was getting very hard. We had a bill on the table that thankfully didn't make it through, but they were bringing it back again recently. You would be a registered sex offender if you AI'd your animal. Okay, so that's like all I'm going to say about this. (laughs) And um, just think that we didn't agree with (laughs) and that would make it difficult for people in agriculture, all sorts of things and things... With water, you wouldn't believe. So Colorado um, is a high desert. It gets an average of 10 to 12 inches of precipitation. You're talking snow and rain and hail, all of it, 10 to 12 inches a year. We're a grass-finished operation, and there wasn't a lot of grass. We didn't own our own. You know, we leased, like, we had 150 acres that we were leasing, um, and leases, leases were difficult to come by because every year we had to find new ones. And it, because people didn't want to commit to more than six months to a year at a time. And sometimes the leases were ended by us. 
a lot of times they were ended by us because some people were difficult to work with or they wanted to manage what you were doing and just a lack of understanding. Um, and, um, and then some of the leases we didn't continue just because the forage was just not good enough. Our cattle struggled there. And so there was a lot of struggles that way, you know, trying to find good land that we could graze and, um, good people to work with. We had one lease that we had the entire time we were in Colorado, but water was getting difficult. Um, and it was just getting rough. And we, we kept having to scale our operation back. We'd start to grow a little bit and there just wasn't enough and we'd have to scale it down, which is rough from a business standpoint because yeah. <laughs> uh, you could never grow and land there. So expensive. What we got here in Missouri would be um, $2 million easy. And we just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, um, we knew we needed to expand. We needed to get um, property. We wanted to own our property so that we could manage it. We also wanted resources, water and grass being the biggest. And so we actually, th- this journey was like a five-year journey. We looked at the entire United States and we're like, all right, let's start narrowing it down. And so we, you know, went state by state based on um, our political views and what aligned with who we are and our beliefs and um, kind of narrowed things down that way and what water was like and what property rights were like and all of those different things and um, cost and um, different things like that. And we just kept narrowing it down and Missouri kept showing up and we'd kind of be like, Oh, let's look somewhere else. And Missouri kept showing up and we were finally, um, finally like, okay, my husband's sister actually lives in Kansas city. He drove out one time to, I got to get a feel for it. And he fell in love and he's like, this is where we're supposed to be. So, so we, you know, that took a couple of years to decide where we were actually going to go. And we had so many times where we thought we were just going to be done, that we weren't going to be able to continue farming that, um, or that we needed to start over, sell everything, whatever, start from scratch again. There were so many ups and downs. And I, this one particular summer, the one before he drove out to Missouri, Um, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. We're not making any money. We don't have these leases. Hey, hey, there (laughs) was so expensive. We're talking $400 a ton and, um, it just not doable, you know? So my husband for two years drove to Missouri and brought hay back because it was less expensive to do it that way than it was to buy hay there. And the it was just rough and we we were like we did not want to give up so we're like we're gonna do whatever it takes to make this happen and we'll go wherever we need to go so found out it was Missouri and so then we started looking for houses and trying to get financing and that was a whole nother experience because Uh you have a some of the banks we had a schedule f on our taxes they wouldn't even look at us they're like oh sorry, not talking to you. He's like, are you kidding me? Like 
we have our business plan. We have all, you know, our financials and yes, the business is lost, but like all of these things and struggling to get them to work with us. And we tried going through FSA. Um, and so for two years, we tried buying a house. We were in contract and just every time just something was not going to work. And most of it was because my husband didn't have a job over here. So they wanted you to have a job over here, but in order to get a job, they wanted you to have an address over here. And we're like, well, oh <laughs> chicken or egg guys, like, yeah. I don't, you know, <laughs> I can't, we can't do both. We're, we are committed, but unfortunately we're not in a time and place like we were, you know, early 1900s, late 1800s, where your merit was, you know, this is what we're doing and our word is good. And, and we are committed to this. Like you can look at our life history and we're committed. We don't willy nilly things. Um, and, and it just was so much back and forth and the emotional roller coaster was almost more than we can handle. So there were plenty of times where we wanted to quit then and just like, it's not going to happen but neither of us give up. And, and when, and it's like, we pull each other because one will be like, no, we can do this. And it's like, no, I'm done. And like, no, we can do this. And we buoy the other one up and we keep pulling each other forward, which is fantastic. Um, but he got a job in Missouri. He was, um, he just kept looking, we kept trying and we found, but we didn't know where in Missouri we were picking you know, there was a house for sale with look at it. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't matter where. And finally we, um, we were introduced to this one realtor. She showed us a house and it was the week before we were supposed to close that the bank was like, you just have to have a job here. We won't do it if you don't have a job. And so, um, so that was really defeating because it took four months for them to tell us that. And <laughs> <laughs> that's the most frustrating thing like we've had things similar to that where it's like you work with a someone who's doing your financing and they like I I have family who works in banks but when they just don't want to tell you the hard information and it could have saved you both so much time and effort mm -hmm. why did oh, you yeah. want to get to this point <laughs> yes Yes. So it was pretty defeating. And we both were kind of like, we're just, we're just done for a while, but my husband can't stop. He's got ADHD. He hyper focuses on, you know, it just doesn't leave, um, which is a superpower. It's good. But he just kept looking for jobs and this one job showed up. Well, that house, we just fell in love with the area. We, um, we were just like, this is where we're supposed to be. And so he kept looking for jobs and a job showed up in the area that we were looking at. And, and it happened so fast. It, it was just like, everything just went whoop, and, and it happened. So just because what you're working towards doesn't happen right away, doesn't mean it's not right. You have to keep moving forward, whether that's because you're proving to yourself that you actually want it mm -hmm. Um, proving it to God <laughs> or, you know, waiting for those things to align. Don't stop. Um, so he, he got the job offer um, in like July 
Um, and they were like, well, we're going to offer it to you, but we want you to come out here, learn it a little bit before you actually accept it. So, so we did that. And while we were out here, we had a house we wanted to look at for sure. And, um, we thought it was the one we were going to buy the realtor had a couple put together for us. And we went and looked at it. It wasn't ideal, but we were willing to do whatever because we didn't care where we lived. You know, we got got a job, we're moving. So, (laughs) um, we drove out to see this other one because it was listed as like only a two bed house, you know, Mm -hmm. two bed, one bath. And we're like, we're a family of eight. That's not really, (laughs) we're, we're willing to do what it takes it. That's stretching it a little bit. But it turns out the realtor just listed it terribly, which, because it was for sale for like over a year. And it, um, we came, we saw the house fell in love, knew it was ours. And, and then we had a month, one month until we closed on this and we had to be moved. And we were moving our whole farm. Like we sold a bunch of chickens and we sold part of our pigs, but we were bringing everything with us because we weren't going to start over again. And that was insane. Trying to get all of those details together, you know, all of the vet checks that you had to do for every animal. And they had to be within a certain day of you moving and getting a transportation schedule because we, we didn't have a trailer big enough and we needed to pretty much move everyone at once. And so, um, and we couldn't move the animals until, um, you know, we knew for sure we were closing and like all of those details that had to just line up. So I had to reschedule transporting the animals a couple of times. And so then that meant we had to, there was so much money going out at that time. It was crazy because we had to reschedule um, some of the animals with the vet a couple of times and, I don't know how we made it through that experience (laughs) other than you just, you know, pull your bootstraps up and you just, you just move forward and you just take a day at a time. You know, our schedule had changed. It felt like multiple times every day. My husband was still working at his other job and, um, we got everything lined up. Finally, we moved everything we had. We had, um, our sheep our pigs, our horses, and our cattle in one trailer. Oh, my God. Uh, these guys had a big enough trailer. Uh, we did that spring actually sell um, nine mamas. So we did downsize a little bit. So we didn't have as many. And no. um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we had everything in one trailer. And I will tell you that trip was crazy. Because um, they ca- they arrived a couple hours late. And then we were supposed to leave at the same time as them because we needed to be here in order for them to drop the animals off Mm. because Colorado to Missouri. And so we, they got there a couple hours late and we didn't leave until four hours after they did. And we're like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get there in time? And there, what else happened is there was um the canyon we would normally take closed and so we had a two-hour detour and we drove drove all night and we don't do things like it's a 17-hour drive we do it straight we don't stop we we just drive (laughs) 
so our kids, our kids are really good travelers. We're very blessed, but the, the people ended up being really nice. They live just a couple hours outside on the way here. They stopped, let the animals out, get some water while we caught up, but we ended up, we left at 11 PM, um, the night before. And we ended up getting here at 9 PM the next night. So it was almost a 24 hour drive. And, um, it was just insane. And we ran into a few hurdles, you know, that's a stressful thing for animals. We lost our daughter's pony, um, uh, the stress and stuff. Um, she colicked and wasn't able to save her. And so, there were so many things that were hard with this move. Um, but we knew it's what we needed in order to succeed and and do what we wanted. So, so we did it. And, um, you know, we ran into the, the hoof rot showing up and we lost the pony and, um, just a bunch of things just kind of happened, but, um, we've been so, been so amazing being here um it's been everything that we worked for it's um you know still pinching ourselves we've been here about six months now and um yeah it's everything that we wanted so you know with that story you just don't give up and you do what it takes to make it happen we left our family, everything we'd ever known. I was born in Wyoming, raised in Utah, moved to Colorado when I married my husband. That's all I've ever known. And we picked up our kids and we took our family and we moved because we have a dream and we have a purpose and we have a drive for it. And, and to some people, it's scary. It's so scary to step outside of that comfort zone. Yeah. It's so scary to move into what you know, the unknown, but it is so freeing and exhilarating and fun. And there is so, so much on the other side. Like one of my, one of my things was, you know, we're moving to Missouri and, you know, people, you know, a lot of what people will say is, you know, well, you're just running away from problems here and you'll still have problems there. And I'm like, you don't get it. So, so I'm always like, people say that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And I'm like, but literally the grass is greener. <laughs> <laughs> Colorado. It literally is greener here. And it's been, you know, all the research we did about the climate and everything else and living here and actually being what we, you know, cause sometimes you think, am I just making this up? Am I just pretending that it's going to be better? And it's, and it wasn't pretend it's, it's been everything, you know, we didn't hardly feed any hay this winter where we're normally feeding from November to April or May mm-hmm. in Colorado. And we've hardly fed any hay. They've been grazing all winter long, which is just amazing and great for them and, and what we're doing. And, um, the kids are thriving, um, so it really can be what you think it's going to be. So that's amazing. Um, <laughs> I can only imagine the stress and all, I mean, all of the work and money and that goes into moving a whole farm across mm-hmm. a state, multiple mm-hmm. states. Um, yeah. 
Wow. And that stress was for two years because we, it took us two years of putting in offers on homes and thinking we were going to move and what do we do with our farm? And we, we can't really grow right now. So our business wasn't really operating. We were still selling to certain customers, you know, like holes, halves and quarters and things like that with beef and pork, but we weren't like being the business that we wanted to, everything was so watered down and, and that was so stressful. Like, yeah, yeah, very, very much so. And so here it's like, you know, (laughs) everything is just released and able to grow. And so, yeah, yeah. I'm so happy for you and so glad that the six months you guys have been there, you've been settling in and it's everything you hoped it would be. That's amazing. Thank you. Well, I can't wait to hear more about your story and where you guys take things now that you are settled in your dream home and on the dream farm. Um, Learn more about what comes next for you guys. So thank you so much for being so willing to share your story and everything that you guys are about. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very honored. (laughs) Of course. So where can folks find more about you and get more from you? Okay. Um, Well, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Our um, just 1984 farms on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook, 1984 farms. And um, you can go to our website, 1984farms.com. And you can, from there, you can see what we have to offer any events that we do and um, purchase products or, or anything like that and our blog. So that's, um, and get on our email list. So those are where we're most active right now. Definitely. Well, I'm so glad you guys have those different opportunities for people to learn about you. And to our listeners, definitely check them out. You will love the content that Carissa puts out. Um, It's very, very educational and informative and inspiring. So thank you again so much, Carissa. And we'll talk to you again soon. Do you know someone building their ag legacy or with stories of yesteryear on the farm that need to be shared? Please let us know or help them apply to be a guest on the show at farmingonpurpose.com guest. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the show on Apple Podcasts or give us a share on social media. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, at, at Farming on Purpose on all social media. And let us know what topics you want to hear more about.